0: What's going on you rogues rebels and renegades welcome back to the rogue country podcast for 2024. Thank you so much for tuning in it means a lot. Let's get down to business. We are super excited to announce that we are bringing Sterling Drake over from the states for his first ever UK tour in March. We did it with Jesse Daniel, we did it with Summer Dean, and now we are doing it with Sterling Drake. He is an incredible artist. He is playing across the UK in March with very special guest Brandon Ridley, opening all the shows, a good friend of the podcast, and a great musician. Sterling and Brandon are touring across the UK in March, and we cannot wait to see them. Make sure if you can get to one of these shows you do, it's going to be incredible let's do it. On March 19th at Powis, they are at the Old Barn Inn. On March 20th, they're in Birkenhead at the Swinging Arm. On March 21st, they're in Bradford at the Boar and Fable. On March 22nd, they're in Sheffield at Shakespeare's. And on the 24th, they are in London at the Dukes of Highgate. These are going to be incredible shows. Tickets are now available for Powis, Birkenhead and Sheffield. Bradford at London are free entry. This is an incredible tour, but if you don't believe us, maybe you'll believe Summer Dean. She said this at our head date in November.
1: Because they're not going to bring you anybody that is shit, okay? And there is so much shit country. I'm not saying what I am or what I'm not, but I'm just saying, I want you to pay attention. If Rogue picks them to come here, then come and check them out. Even if you've never heard of them, just because you hadn't heard of them doesn't mean they're very successful, and it doesn't mean that they're not badass, all right? So please, follow Rogue, get on the internet, get on the Instagram and all the Facebook, and pay attention to who they have coming over here, because this is just a couple of guys who believe in it, and uh, they're booking my hotels, they're getting us from place to place, setting up the PAs, and doing all of it for the love of country music, so that you can have a chance to come out here on the Saturday night. <laughs>
0: and that is the truth according to summer dean that was unprompted live on stage and it brought a tear to my eye but the message is there we aren't going to bring you anyone shit sterling drake and brandon ridley are incredible country musicians and they are touring across the uk in march at powis baconhead bradford sheffield and london we've got more dates to add tickets are available now and if you listen to this podcast if you love real country music you will be at this tour But we are not here to talk about that, we are here to talk about our guests today for episode 72 of the Rogue Country Podcast. I sat down with Matt and Kevin at Rhino Productions, a film and content creation company over in the States, who are producing an interesting documentary that flagged up on the Rogue Radar, and I had to talk to them about it. The documentary is called Where You Been? The Odyssey and Elegy of Luke Bell. If you're a country music fan, you may know Luke's music. He released an incredible debut album in 2016, released a single in 2021, and then unfortunately passed away in 2022. It was an incredible life with incredible music. He left this huge shadow in country music. Whoever saw him live, whoever listened to his music, instantly fell in love with it. And it was one of those characters and figures that you just... You don't know where he could have gone, but you knew it was somewhere special. Tragically, he left this world too soon. And to see this documentary pop up only two years after his passing was a really interesting thing. So I had to talk to these guys to see why they loved country music, why they loved Luke, why they wanted to make this documentary in the first place. And this was an incredible chat with Kevin and Matt. I can't thank them enough for making the time to talk to me. Their project is live on Kickstarter now they have 14 days to go at the point of recording to hit their target to get this film fully funded you can go back at kickstarter.com i will include the link on the podcast as well but this was an amazing talk about country music why people love country music from all walks of life and why people love luke bell's music it was an amazing talk i cannot wait to share it with you and i'm about to share it with you right now so let's do it episode 72 of the rogue country podcast with rhino productions kevin and matt let's do it So we're rolling. And before we kind of get into where you've been, the loop documentary and stuff, I just want to talk about your origin story. How did you guys meet and, you know, form Rhino and start working together? Where did that kind of originate from?
2: Yeah. So, so the quick version of the story, I guess, is that um, I started Rhino about 13 years ago with very little to no experience in creative work um, and just kind of fell into it and really kind of went all in on making it what I, the best possible thing I could. Um, Matt, Matt's been around for five or six years. It feels like way longer than that. Yeah, maybe. it
1: does. But six, I think is this year.
2: So Matt actually came out of like a, a mythical figure into rhinos existence. In. so we, we always try to look out for really awesome, talented people. And Matt, was originally from Minnesota and then was down in North Carolina. And someone I knew from a previous job had been saying to me like, Hey, you should meet my sister's boyfriend, Matt. He's a great guy. Um, he's really into videos and he he's looking at moving up this way. And then, so we kind of hit it off on a couple of phone calls and then they moved up here and pretty much walked in the door Yeah, and I saw what he, his work was and the type of guy he was. And we immediately like, like let's make a spot for him on our team. Mm. So Matt's been with Rhino for that length of time Um, and just really quickly Rose is whatever roles and more and more responsibility and like creative work. Uh, he's always leveling up what we do creatively. So, um, that's the, I don't know.
1: Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. My first, uh, my first month at Rhino, they pretty much put me in an airplane and shipped me to Texas
2: for three and a half weeks straight or something. (laughs) A couple different things. We just said, we got a project go. Right. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And what was it about this kind of field or medium that inspired you both to, you know, take like work in this and pursue this as a career? Because it's a really interesting thing that as content creation and photography and videography, they're more important now than ever in like the Internet age. And if you guys obviously you've been around so long, you must have kind of seen the reliance kind of come in from that. You were must have been in a good position to start so early and kind of be ahead of the curve almost.
2: Yeah, that's funny because you're right, and I have reflected on this a lot. So when I grew up, it was uh my mom had a little dark room in our house and she practiced photography. Um, she shot a lot of photos of dogs that she was showing, like Labrador retrievers and around the shows and horses and um so we always joke that in my family photo albums there's like eighty pictures of horses and then like five of my brother, brother and I and that, that's like the ratio or something like that. So um And then, but really for me, I went to business school and really, really quickly realized I'm not cut out for a corporate world. I'm not, it's just not, I'm not wired Mm. that way. I don't know how to, you know, adopt those mannerisms and the language and that whole corporate mechanism. So I struggled for about four years after college to find my way and then really just fell into media and and photography really. And it it was one of those things where like, as soon as I did it, I went, this is exactly what I'm made Mm. to do. This is exactly what. I've always loved and and all this, but I never thought it was possible. And then um, I guess, I don't know, I guess we've really rode a few waves over the years. Um, And right now, funny enough, it's kind of like a, in the same way, we're doing the same things we've always done, but at a higher level. Mm. And we're also, I would say, currently rethinking how we, how, I don't know, like, it feels like a, every year I'm rethinking how we should be going about. This type of business, right? And and just reanalyzing and reassessing, and I don't know how else to do it because it is changing constantly. Mm-hmm. How people, you know, consume media, yeah. Uh, how stories get told. Um, the there's yeah
1: yeah yeah. For me personally, the the film medium was a was an interesting path because I played music for a lot of years. I toured in a band for a lot of years, and that was kind of my that was always my creative outlet. And my whole life, I've always danced in between wanting to do something creative all the time or having be the creative thing be a hobby. And Mm. sometimes the hobby side of me puts out better work and the force side of me puts out worse work. Right. So it's always been a balance, excuse me. And in music, it was definitely that way. And I kind of left creative work aside for a lot of years and decided like, I'm just going to go more blue collar route. I'm just going to go to work, come home. I'll have my time to be creative. And I learned really quickly in just a few years that I uh I really longed to be creative, I guess, at larger scale, mm. greater efforts. And it was really hard to to come up with a way to do that. And when I was in North Carolina, I kind of fell into just video work. Like mm. I just I was working at a job and I asked the boss, Hey, I think we should put out media. Seems like people are putting stuff out, right? We should do this. And he gave me a thousand bucks and said, Go get a camera and we'll see what we can come up with. And Two years later or one year later, I was walking in the door at Rhino. So it was a strange – I was not a film Mm. – you know, I didn't – I loved movies growing up. Sports movies was, like, my favorite thing on earth. But it just – it wasn't – it was natural and kind of unnatural in different ways. I I didn't expect it,
2: and here we are. I'm thoroughly loving that you're having, like, throat clearing issues right now because normally that's me. (laughs) And, like, I'm normally the one, like, clearing my throat constantly, so I'm, like, kind of enjoying (laughs) that. Matt's afflicted right now, but you got to get some diet Coke in him, Matt. But here's the thing. Matt's one of those guys, though. that's like really good at whatever he wants to be good at. Um, so anyone here at Rhino and around here knows that Matt's just, he's gifted at um, lots of different things athletically. Um, he's, he's one of the nicest, kindest guys you'll meet. He's huge. And he's just like, uh, I don't know. He's a big, warm teddy bear, but he's really, really good. Takes things really seriously. And um, right now he's, um, you know, any anytime I have a project that I want to do or I want to be involved in, um, you know, I'm usually riffing with Matt in the early stages to kind of map through it. And this project with Luke um, really started that way too, because I, I said this recently. We were talking I've wanted to do a country music project pretty much the entire time that I've had this media company, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know what lane to go down or what story I was trying to tell. I just was fascinated by the genre of country music, what makes something country versus not, how do you get into that club? Uh, And because I grew up in the Midwest here in America, um, I don't have a Southern accent. There's lots of, there's lots of people around me growing up that did, but they were kind of the rednecks and I was a country boy, but I wasn't, I didn't have that draw. Mm. But when I listened to the radio back in the nineties, everyone had that draw. (laughs) And so I always thought, Maybe I could do music, but I couldn't do country. It just it wouldn't it wouldn't feel right. Mm. Felt like an imposter. Or it felt like an imposter exactly. And so, I, I play in a band too, or I have over the years. And but I've we've I've never really thought you know I could do country. And mm. so that that lane started opening up in that conversation and uh here at Rhino because um when Matt came along, he was one of the first people to ever work with me here at rhino that actually liked country too Mm. and didn't just you know joke you know think country is kind of a joke or whatever you know um because i've had so many conversations over the years with people that um you know say oh i love i love every kind of music (laughs) every kind of music except country and then they do that like except country and i'm like well what's what's the (laughs) issue there and it's they usually have a list of uh problems like the twang or the 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 cliche isms or you know however you want to say it but um I find that most people, when they really dig into what I would say is like true, authentic country music, usually fall in love at some point, yeah. whether it's, like, you know, Johnny Cash is kind of like a gateway drug for a lot of people. Yeah. But once you hear Merle Haggard, you f- you hear a few of his songs and you're like, you know, it, it changes your world a bit. So, yeah. And even transitioning to more modern day, like
1: there's so many underground, what I call underground country artists, I guess now alternative country artists. Yeah. Doing amazing things that you could surprise nearly anyone on the street with, you know, and say like, make them go, beg the question like, Oh, this is country music. You know, yeah. it's, it's just different than what people think it is. And if you, if you're not, if you're not aware of it, how would you ever know? Yeah. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. So,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, I want to add one other thing too there. Sorry. Um, One of the things that I think really opened up this project and I won't get into it yet, but I'll just say, what Matt started doing, I wasn't really familiar with the underground scene like he mm-hmm. was, and he had seen a bunch of artists and been to a bunch of shows and he would share people with me. And then I remember he showed me Charlie Crockett, uh, way back. And I remember I didn't t- quite get it at first. And I was like, what's up with this, guy? this guy's got, a- he's a character, you know, and I didn't quite get it. I, I I adore Charlie Crockett stuff now and I'm a huge fan, but anyway, um, it was like once, once we realized that, What's happening with this underground scene is it seems like my thesis was this, uh, the the lifestyle that seemed to embody country music and like the poor, like rural people of America in some ways. Like, and I've heard, I think it was like Jim Morrison the sing where he talked about like the authentic American music is, you know, you have jazz, you have blues and you have country and blues is like poor black man music and country's like poor white man music mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's kind of how he framed it. And in a sense, like I've just noticed as America becomes more uh, changes over time, there just aren't that many people that live an authentic mm. country life that you can then rise up and become the singer that people can look at and say, you know, you really lived out those songs, or you really, um, you know, were a cowboy or whatever it mm. is. Um, and but but now you have this out or underground indie country where it feels like maybe they didn't but they love it and respect it so much that they're willing to adorn themselves with the, the guise of it and live out the role uh, out of reverence, yeah, not in a mocking or, or in a parody sort of sense. And so that's what kind of got us thinking about country music as a film again. And the kind of that's, we'll talk about how we got into Luke, but anyway, yeah, yeah.
0: no, I, I think that's an important thing. I think here in, kind of your perspective of it, especially the Southern accent thing as, you know, I consider myself a UK country artist. I have lots of country artist friends who are from, you know, England and Wales and stuff. And it is one of those things when we share our music on kind of American boards, people instantly say, oh, you're putting on an accent or you don't have an accent. So it's not X, it's not Y. And it's one of those things where I think the heart of it is what you're saying is even if you didn't come up in that necessary way or from that background, when you have that kind of sincere love for it, it resonates through the music and it's one of those things that it is really kind of taking hold internationally. I know there's like a great country scene in Australia now, and it is one of those things where it is kind of a love for the music. That's really perpetuating those things. But with country music, obviously said you guys have been country fans for a long time. What were the artists? Obviously you were talking about male Haggard. Were they the artists that you kind of grew up listening to and then kind of went from there? Yeah. You want me to
2: start? You start. Yeah, I'm trying to dig up all these artists, so maybe you go on. Yeah, down. so so here's the thing: when I was a kid, we listened to the radio and we listened to cassette tapes. And so my uncle um got my mom into Garth Brooks, and uh, I listened to the we listened the hell out of Garth Brooks's cassettes, the first album, which is definitely the best. <laughs> uh, but what what. I was joking my kids because I never grew up with a car seat of any sort. Like I never once sat in a car seat. Uh, We just laid on the floor of the truck. And I remember like, we'd go on these long trips. They felt like long trips. Maybe it was just up the road or something, but I would sometimes like lay on the floor of the truck and it was warm and I could hear the highway sounds. And I remember like listening to Garth Brooks. And then there was like a classic rock tape we had that was like Creedence Clearwater and Motown music. And then like from there it was George Strait, um, Alan, obviously Alan Jackson. I, I sincerely love Aaron Tippin. Um, like I'm a huge Aaron Tippin fan, like the amount of twang, the Aaron Tippin, the amount of like conviction. And hit, I, I just love those nineties Aaron Tippin songs. You go back and look at that Mola he had is <laughs> insane. And, uh, so now for me though, I would say my top, you know, it's like Dwight Yoakam. I I, I just think Dwight's the fricking man. Um, uh, and, uh, I actually really love the band Confederate Railroad. Mm. Um and like that their sound like I don't know, they got a killer uh 90s country sound. So I don't know, I could probably go on and on, but to <laughs> me like that was on the radio uh and that's what I I loved. Right, yeah. I I think I kind of grew up a similar way. It was
1: whatever CD or tape was in my mom or dad's truck and uh like my mom loved Randy Travis, so I fell in love with that mm. kind of just low, classic, beautiful sound that he makes, you know. Yeah. And uh, my dad had a lot of range and influences a lot. He was a big country music fan, big, just big, like, rural music fan, I think is the best way to put it. But he loved stuff like everything from the Allman Brothers to the band to Mm Blackhawk, like, uh, I'm trying to think of maybe some even bigger acts. But we definitely had, like, the Garth Brooks, the, you know, George Straits, all the classics. And then I had this moment in my life where I kind of turned away from it. I was like, ah, this is – I you hit that age where you're like, oh, forget this stuff. Like that's mm, what yep. that's what my parents listened to, and I turned into kind of the punk rock scene and the hardcore m- music scene, and that's I a lot of my life I spent like that. And then after playing all these loud shows consistently in these heavy loud bands, I'd usually go back to the van or back to wherever hotel we were at, and just pick my I'd pull my acoustic guitar out, and I'd go back to those songs that I learned fireside, sitting with my dad. So it was kind of a new. I was like reawoken to country music in a way. And that's when I started to really find my sound. You know, mm. I don't, I don't connect as heavily like Randy Travis is way up there in my gut, but I don't connect as heavily to those bands. Maybe that I heard mm. always growing up, it was like this moment that I was reawoken to this genre of music. I just dug so hard into it and started to find pieces of myself throughout the process mm. and built my own, you know, what I call now, like these are, this is, this is me now. It's you the know? Matt Bakken
2: experience. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then when did you kind of... Because for me, I I feel the modern, kind of all-country artists, the Tyler Childers, Carlton Walls, Luke Bells, it kind of started from 2012 onwards from what I've kind of witnessed myself. And then 2016 seems to have been the turning point for a lot of things. What was the kind of got you into these newer artists and discovering this this music again? Yeah. You should start that. I got this thing.
1: (laughs) So... Yeah, so the, the turning point for me was, um, I mean, the probably the biggest record that turned me into this whole scene was High Top Mountain by Sergio Simpson. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough, when I was playing in that Harker band touring, I had another drummer friend that we were on tour with say, like, we were in Lexington. He's, he's like, the second we're done with this show, drop everything you got, put on a clean shirt, we're going to a show. And he was from Lexington. He pulled mm-hmm. me to this small bar in Lexington, and who was on stage? But Sturgill Simpson playing no with Sunday Valley, and it was a record release show for Sunday Valley. And I remember what a cool room to be in. First of all, I just luckily got to be there, and being like just falling in love with his voice. But because you had never,
2: never you had never heard of him. <laughs>
1: no, he was a, it was my first experience of Sturgill Simpson, and I remember hearing him just going like, "I've never seen anything like this. I didn't know this existed. It was raw. It was angry in a lot of ways. It yeah. was just it was so." things that were so cool and so disconnected from the country that i knew and, and i left that show going like i think this is awesome sunday valley fan and i kind of let it sit and then when sturgill simpson came out and high top mountain dropped that really like opened to me i like i heard that voice i loved again it pulled me right back in take it all the way to meta modern sounds of country mm-hmm. music when that album came out i feel like it was probably one of the biggest moments in alt country yeah history call it. like that was Sturgill really paved a path for a lot of people, in my opinion, and so many great art- artists kind of followed those footsteps, mm-hmm. right? And uh, so I I owe a lot of like what I like. He's like almost like my baseline, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that's that's something I go back to a lot, and I just really appreciate the path that he he walked in the yeah. scene. So,
2: <clears throat> so I guess my answer that before I say anything too, I just want to point out that just noticed your Ninja Turtle picture behind you. Oh yeah. <laughs> and I'm, i I love the turtles so much, so I love that you have uh, a freaking. That's name.
0: not to name drop. That's an original Peter Laird.
2: Are you serious?
0: Yeah, I've got a Kevin Eastman. I need to hang up as well. But yeah, I managed to hey. get onto a sketch up from Peter Laird a while back, and
2: we just became best friends. So all right, <laughs> um, that's so cool. Uh, so <clears throat> I guess for me, my my answer to Matt's question is I I also like I I grew up loving country, but then once I got into middle school. I started liking rock music a lot yeah. more. And my first like rock CDs were like Hootie and the Blowfish and uh which is hilarious. And um and then like Green Day, yeah. you know, Collective Soul and like just nineties yeah. and I I loved all that stuff. Um still and, do. Yeah, it's I got a I got a killer nineties rock playlist on Spotify. <laughs> but um I uh what happened to me was so in like mid 2000s I started going like I just would, I got so like, you know, when you love something and then you see it get bastardized and messed up, you're like, get angry about it. And that's definitely happened to me with country music. I couldn't stand what was, what I was hearing on the radio. And I, I really became like, I used to just be like antagonistic toward anyone. They say like, Oh, I like country. I go, trust me in two years, every single song you hear on the radio, there's going to be another version of it. And you're going to realize that there's cycling and repeating Mm -hmm. in these songs, zero originality. And I was being kind of a hater. And then at that time I fell into like, I was in love with the whole like Mumford and Sons, Mm. Avett Brothers and all that. I'm a huge Avett Brothers fan. And so to me, like that movement, I feel like became country music in a way for me. Mm. And I was a big fan of like Ryan Adams and, Mm. you know, Whiskey Town and some of that stuff. Um, But then for me, I guess, I don't know. I'm trying to think like what would have been the first like of this new underground thing. I mean – Big moment was
1: Luke Bell, for sure.
2: It was, it was Luke, but I mean, I got, I I thought Sturgill was good. I, I'll be honest. When I first heard Sturgill Simpson, I thought, oh, he sounds exactly like Merle Haggard to me. Like I went, he sounds exactly, you know, but I went, there's something novel about it too. Yeah. He integrated the familiar in the novel in a good way. You know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan, but, but then I guess, you no, know, for me, Luke was, um, Luke did flip a switch, I guess. Mm. Cause to me, he felt completely novel but but with those familiar elements, and I went, I, I got to know everything about this guy. And of course, anyone who gets into Luke knows, you know, you can't find much about him because there's it, he started disappearing and not really being out in the yeah. public eye. So, yeah.
0: Mm. No, amazing. And just before, because obviously, you know, we're here to talk about Luke Bell in the documentary. But before we get into those, obviously, there are country music documentaries already out in the world. There's the Ken Band series, Heart One Highways. Have they been like... Influences or inspirations to what you were doing when you first thought, you know, I want to do a country music documentary. Were they the kind yeah. of influences you had in your head, or were they or things you approached later after you already had this idea because of your love of country music?
2: Yeah. So I'll just say I arrogantly was pissed off when Ken Burns put that out because I had been saying to everyone, like, <laughs> I'm going to make a country music documentary. And when he put that out, I went, I remember that, that day, just <laughs> deflated <laughs> I, I really did. I, I went, okay. Um, not now what? what I was gonna do, but but again, he's Ken Burns. I'm a nobody, so it what it was kind of a funny thing, but it did make me go like, okay, well, the, what would I do then? What what path could we take that'd be unique or novel ourselves? So I actually haven't seen that Ken Burns series, um, just because I have four kids and it's really mm-hmm. hard to make time to watch a lot of stuff, um, and but I do I I respect it. I'm not disrespecting. I'm sure I'd probably like adore yeah. the thing, um, you know. I, I think for me, um. I I've watched a, a, a documentaries like anyone else, but I think the thing I'm actually, I don't jump into the documentary pool a lot. And I think mm. because my experiences usually they feel like they have an ideological point of view that they're driving at. Mm. And and once I figure out what card they're playing or what trick is yeah. behind it or, or who's funding it, I usually yeah. check out and I go, this doesn't feel like the spirit of truth anymore. It feels like you had a point yeah. and this is a marketing piece for your point. And uh, I'm not trying to be, you know, negative against people that make those films, but I'm just saying I, that's why I usually don't check out a lot of documentaries unless I find out, no, this is a real truth seeking effort. And it's really, uh, it, it carries that spirit. Um, so I guess for me, like we're trying to make something that feels like telling the truth in a redemptive way and lifting Luke's memory up in a way that more people hear about him, take holding a mirror up to the, the hard things that happened Um, and just doing it with a very reverent spirit. So we're not, um, we're not saying anything that's not true and we're not saying anything that's coming from our own agenda. It's like, yeah, I don't know that, that I'll just stop there. I'm going off the rails here, but
1: yeah, I I think, um, some, some of the inspiration for this piece suit you weren't going off the rails. I didn't. Thanks, man. Um, some inspiration for this for me too was just the the modern the modern age of filmmaking this yeah. kind of taking it back to craft the art the artistic side of this being able to put yourself into something that you really care about it's so accessible and mm-hmm. there's so many documentaries were made in just a very different fashion for so many years and now there's this there's wide open world of you can make this with two people and a pretty decent camera and a little bit of get after it attitude yeah. and that's really how we've approached this entire film but because we're chasing something that we really believe in and, like, doors keep opening, things keep happening for the story to be told, it, it really it tells itself in a lot of ways. Like, there's a lot of effort that goes into it, but filmmaking is so accessible. We definitely uh, have styles and approaches that we're excited to put into films, and just just being able to approach this film without any money, let's say, <laughs> I mean, like yeah. we, bit, we definitely spent money on the film, but it
2: just I spent it's, credit card miles on the film.
1: It's a totally different game now. And it <laughs> feels so much more reachable. And it's just a story that we feel like needs to be told. So inspiration to me was, this is just another piece that I get to work on my craft, another rep on something that feels like, a, like really important to me. And then the second we stepped into it, we realized we were doing something even more important than just that rep. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. really opened up a second and we took the first trip, took that first leap. We came back going like, there's no way we're not making this movie. Mm. This is the one, you know? No, yeah.
0: amazing. And obviously, oh, just before we get into Luke, with the documentaries, I think that's a really interesting point because you have the kind of Michael Moore's of the world where you know they have, you know, an agenda. You know, they have a message. It can almost feel like propaganda with some certain documentaries where you know they're kind of obscure in one side to push their kind of narrative it's really interesting because you know documentaries do need to have that kind of through line and truth-seeking thing with the kind of life of luke bell did you did you get to see him live at all um did you ever like get to meet him or was it one of those things where it's kind of since 2016 and then with everything that happened is that kind of where you guys first discovered his music and went forward with that
2: yeah to our uh everlasting regret neither one of us ever saw luke in person um we just, and this is what's weird about this: we just are fans who, hmm. you know, read savingcountrymusic.com dot com and look for articles about Luke and see if he's, you know, going to be anywhere. And then, um, it it is it, we do kind of like pinch ourselves, you know, or a little bit, and like, why are this is so weird that we're the ones that are getting to do this? Because hmm. there are other people that did Luke who are filmmakers, and and we've kind of re- come to at least I have, and I think you, I think you agree with me on this, Matt, but like kind of settled into this position that like well we're outsiders and so we can almost see it Mm. a little bit more objectively and the people that knew luke are very they're they're sensitive about luke rightfully so and and they're they're it's emotional for them and it's almost like we can do it because we didn't know luke he wasn't my cousin or i didn't grow up in Cody. i love his music and i respect the hell out of him but i i don't it's not like i don't have quite that relationship Mm. so and and thankfully we've earned the the trust and respect of those people who have maybe at first they were like who the hell are you mm. what are you doing with Luke's story um no I don't know about that and then now the some of those same people are like hey these guys are doing it right we need to get behind this and uh you know I, I, that that means the world to us because you know again we are in the country music scene we don't have any resume mm. right other than we're fans so. yeah
1: step back even one step further than that. When we were unaware of Luke's situation um, and uh, everything that was going on in his life, like right. we, we had talked a little bit jokingly, but kind of serious about like, we should find Luke. Like I, like we wanted to, we wanted to meet and see Luke that bad. We just thought he was mm. awesome. He thought, we thought he was, what's the word he used? So uh, like, so himself, he was, uh, he's like a, he's like the chosen one. I think he said one time, but it's just, he has like a yeah. thing that is just Luke Bell. He's yeah. so authentic through and through. And we had this idea of like, we should make a movie called Where the Hell is Luke Bell? We wanted to find him and yeah. just like go, what's up with the guy? I'd love to see him live. He's got this record, incredible record out that it seems like he's just sitting on. What's going on? And we, looking back at it now, it's kind of funny that we didn't think to put it together too much more than that, like that maybe something was going on. We just mm-hmm. thought maybe, oh, he just, he just doesn't want to be in the limelight or, you know, it's just not, it's not his thing. Maybe he's yeah. just hanging it up.
2: Thought we'd find him mending fences somewhere right. in Wyoming, and we'd go, oh, you know, it'd be right. like that. I don't know. The scene in the movie where you find the wise old sage, and they just mm. look at you and wink. Oh, I'm fine, and then you leave it, and that's the end of that yep. movie. But yeah, yeah. So, so uh, it, and that. What's funny is that, and now, now we're kind of making that film, except Luke's gone, and now it's like we're putting in the pieces mm. later. Uh, and it, it's. I don't know. It's weird how that works, and I don't know. I, I am someone who. You know, believes in the idea that you have something you're meant to do you're not just a wandering clump of cells like you have a purpose and i do think with this film it's like this feels like a big thing i'm meant to do mm. and this is an important story and uh so i pursue it with that type of um dedication to a, a calling of sorts i guess mm. um so
0: no, nah, it makes total sense with, you said it felt like it was a switch getting flipped when you first listened to Luke. Do you remember kind of how you discovered him? And, you know, when you first listened to him, you, and you obviously got that feeling. Do you remember like when that was roughly? Cause I know his debut album, I think came out 2016, wasn't it?
2: Yeah. Yep. So um, this is a really easy one for me. Cause we've talked about this a lot. <laughs> um, we were at, so we're in Michigan in the Midwest here in America. And we were um, on a shoot down in Arizona. Which is quite ironic because that's the state that Luke was in when he died. Um, but we were in Arizona on a shoot and it was the end of the night, and we were just, you know, you're done with your shoot. You're you everyone's got their computers out. We're kind of like just poking around, dropping cards and and looking through what we did that day. And 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 Matt just said, Hey, you gotta check out this guy, Luke Bell. Like pull him up on Spotify. And so I was like, oh, Boom, played it. And as soon as I heard the sometimes, and I was like, Holy <laughs> shit, this guy, like from the first few yeah. notes, I was like I was like, this, yeah. this is the dude, you know? And then I probably looped that album like seven or eight times that night. Just like, we just sat there and worked. And I just, I kept looking up at mag like this song is like <laughs> every track. I was like, Holy smokes. They, these keep getting better. Yeah. Like, and, uh, and I never forget it. Cause it was like a beautiful night. It felt like we had done a mm. great day's work and we're soaking in this, this awesome new artist. And, you know, you find something new like that and it just enhances your life in a way yep. that you weren't expecting. And it felt like we found the one, you know, or, you know, yeah, you
1: just, it's he found something so novel that we just never heard before. And I had a similar experience, but I just been, I've been jamming Luke constantly basically up until then. And mm. um, I always try to make Kevin aware of any artists that come up my way and he does the same for, for me. But Luke was one that uh for some reason came out, came on a night out in Tucson or what was Phoenix.
2: We're in Phoenix, Phoenix yeah. Um, yeah.
1: after a long day. And I remember, I, I specifically remember him, you know, we're all staying in an Airbnb kind of place, all together. Everybody's working and chatting, and then Kevin started to like just kind of get pulled into <laughs> his computer and the sound. And it was almost like he would sit there and listen, and then he'd be like, "This is crazy," <laughs> you know. Every so it was, it was a fun, it was a fun moment. And looking back on that now, it's a, it's a really cool piece to this whole puzzle. So.
0: No, amazing. So getting into the documentary, obviously, you had this love you will lo- even thinking kind of doing like a sun house ass thing where like they found him as a janitor after all those years. And it's like, where the hell's Luke Bell and things with kind of his passing and things. What was the kind of ignition to get this project started?
2: I can't believe you just mentioned Sunhouse too. That's one of my favorite dudes on earth. So like, <laughs> I don't know, man. Okay. Maybe I'm not that unique. Maybe we're just, okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> I, uh, so how this happened was, how did, okay. So your question is how this whole thing get ignited. So uh, you, now you've heard all the backstory. So here's basically what happened. Um Years ago, I had reached out to saving country music because I wanted to make a country music film. And I just thought he seems like the guy who I'd want to talk to first. Mm. He seems like he got all the connections and and he knows the industry in and out. And I had sent this email and I said, I'll, I'll be in touch. And I never got back to him because uh, probably because Ken birds, film came out and I was just, Mm. I was discouraged just, you know, life gets busy. I have kids and we get this business and we were busy trying to get paid and stuff. Passion projects sometimes fall by the wayside. But then when Matt and I were talking again, we're like, we should, we should reach back out to, co- I mean, he, I have the email sitting there. Why don't I reach back out? And I emailed him and and had a really good conversation. I remember I was driving around in my truck and I finally pulled over. I was at like a Goodwill, like a little retail shop. I parked in the parking lot, just sat and talked to him on the phone for like 25 minutes and just, just went and just went on and on, shared my heart and my thoughts. And, and then he's like, well, man, I'd love to, you know, sit down sometime if you're ever didn't ever in Austin. And, uh, I said, well, we might be actually coming down there for this thing or that thing. And he goes, okay, well just, I don't, I don't want you coming down just for me. And I said, no, 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 we got another thing going on. And that was a lie. Cause we definitely were like, we're just going to go down and talk <laughs> to this guy. We just felt like he was such a linchpin to everything. We're like, let's go sit down and put him on camera and talk. Mm. And, um, and then what happened was we got set up at this legendary Texas dance hall called green hall. And, uh, it's kind of where George Strait came up and you can see pictures of him as a young man in the early eighties on the wall and all these legendary acts that have played there. um, and we had done this two hour conversation and it was just like the same, like Matt's running camera. I'm talking to trigger from saving country music. And every time he would answer a question, we were just like, n- he was nailing it. Just like, you're like, this guy knows this stuff inside now. And, and we were a little nervous that he's a writer. Maybe he won't communicate as well on film. Mm. And he was just nailing it. And I kept looking over at Matt, like, can you believe this? Like, this is amazing. And then we got all done. And I, we do a thing at the end of every shoot. It's like, did I miss anything? Like, did, did we cover everything we wanted to cover? You know, we came all the way down here. And then I think maybe Matt just kind of looks like, well, do you want to ask him about Luke? Cause we were going to do this whole other, like broader country music thing. Mm. And then, and then we're, and I said, Oh yeah, I was going to ask you about Luke bell. And then he kind of just had this look came over him. Like that, that told me that there was a lot more behind mm. the curtain that he wasn't going to be able to say, but he gave me about eight minutes of like, here's the Luke bell story. And mm. I, and he, I knew that, knew more about luke than probably a lot of other you know people in the industry and then after the cameras were off we had a really deep conversation about luke and he just said man it's a really crazy story uh that guy had everything and he had all these mental illness struggles and um so we ended up chatting with with trigger a bunch more about that and when we came home we just went i don't think the film what we were going to make I don't think that matters yet. I think we need to do this Luke thing. Yeah. And it wasn't clear that we were going to do that yet. We kind of went home and just had a lot to think about, mm. you know? Um, and then I think, I mean, I think Matt looked at me and was like, we need to, we need to try to do the Luke thing because, because Kyle said, or Trigger, his name's Kyle and yeah. Trigger. It's a little confusing. Depending on how nice he's being, I might call him Kyle sometimes. Or I'm just, <laughs> <kidding>. <laughs> um, but he said, you know, that's a story that needs to be told. And, when someone like that says that I I don't take that, lightly. you know, he knows his stuff. And um, so we kind of knew there was something there, I guess. And I'm gonna let you jump in. I'm rambling here.
1: Yeah. After meeting with trigger um, and coming home, I think you kind of mentioned this, but we didn't press the go button for a while. Yeah. It was definitely a, we'd sit on it and it was like every once in a while we'd walk by each other in the office or if we were meeting up somewhere and just be like, Ah, uh, we should probably do that Luke Bell film, you know. <laughs> um, and this was still before we like we knew there was a lot to the story. Um, this was still before his passing, and I think it became when Luke passed, it became a even more interesting thing to us, but also something that we definitely had to handle delicately, right? Yeah. Like it became a much bigger thing. So, um, there the brakes were kind of pumped, and we had we just let it sit, you know. Um, and it was one of those things that I don't remember exactly how we got back to trigger, but it was definitely a uh, Trigger had been, gotten to talk to Luke's family um, pretty closely. He got to go to Luke's memorial. Quite a few things just came together where um, Trigger was kind of like our uh, – the mediator. Our access our, point. Our access yeah. point. How do you want to say that? He was the one that got, mm. finally got to reach out to Carol and family and just say, I got these guys that I've got to talk to a lot. I really respect them, and they would love to do a film about Luke. So he was the one who kind of opened up the conversation when we felt like it was right. Um, and I applaud Kevin for just – I feel like he's handled this whole situation really, really well. He's done a lot of the navigating of conversations and Mm. how we talk to people and when we talk to people. And I feel like it's the whole thing that teed us up to be able to do this project successfully without, you know, just crossing roads that we shouldn't have crossed at different times. And I feel Mm. like we've done um, justice in that way. And I'm really excited. Like I feel like we're teed up to make the best possible film about Luke because of that early work. So appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Well, I think uh, what I'd say is that this this journey with telling Luke's story, I, I'm very sensitive to not, I don't want to appear like we're opportunistic. We're yeah. trying to take advantage. We're trying to, you know, just that idea. I don't know if you have this phrase in the UK or whatever, but sometimes in like the movies, you hear lawyers get called like ambulance chasers or, yeah. or whatever, and I thought that is, I definitely don't want anyone to think that we aren't, Approaching this with the best possible intentions, like we obviously absolutely want the film to be successful. Um, we're not pursuing this because it will make us successful. we uh, that might be a byproduct of doing the best possible job, mm. but we want we want everyone we come in contact that new Luke or someone we want to interview for the film to know that we I'm not from Vice. I'm not from the New York Times. I don't have an agenda. I'm really approaching this as a fan that wants to elevate mm-hmm. Luke's story, make something beautiful that moves people and, and, and helps. And, and that to me, that's like when you've been given a gift of any sort, that's kind of your job yeah. and you can't just sit on it and, um, not do the thing you feel like you're meant to do. And so it's, it is kind of, uh, uh, I, I don't want to say the word exhausting, but that's what's coming to mind. It's exhausting in some sense to everyone. I pr- approach, I have to like reset and I go, I have to remind myself, they don't know me at all. Yeah. For all, all They know I'm some asshole who like wants to take advantage of Luke and his memory and his story and, and is going to be provocative or, you know, and I, I have to go, they don't know me from Adam. They don't know anything about me. And I have to like rebuild or restart a relationship with every new person. Mm. And Honestly, one of the nicest things that I'm so thankful for in having this film trailer uh, and the Kickstarter be out there is the fact that that can do some work for us and I don't have to start from zero. Yeah. And, and and they can see the that what we're doing and, and it, it does help open up a lot of doors, um, which is good because, again, we're very busy uh, in our day-to-day jobs. And like if I could stop everything and just work on this film, I would absolutely do that um but i'm not like independently wealthy so we've mm-hmm. got to we've got the bills and then we've got to work on the film that we're so motivated and passionate about
0: yeah no definitely i think seeing the trailer and seeing kind of this when it first came across it is one of those things where you know luke's passing was you know two years ago this year in august and it's one of those things where do you wait 80 years and do like a robert johnson thing where In the end, there's only two photos left of him and no one alive to tell these stories of him. Or do you strike kind of, not necessarily while the iron is hot, but while, you know, these people are still around, there's still these memories, it's still close heart, and you can get as much possible stories and videos and music as possible. Because, you know, with kind of Luke in the independent country scene, Luke, he released his album in 2016, eight years ago. There was one single in 2021 what is out there and if you leave it longer how much would be forgotten and it would be a travesty for luke bell's music to be forgotten and i think when i first saw that trailer i was like this is a really delicate balancing act and obviously you guys are coming at it with such sincerity and integrity but i know that must have been one of those overarching things when you approach this and approach his family and friends that that has to be kind of one of the first things that you put across
2: Uh, That's, I mean, you said it perfectly, man. The balancing act is exactly right. Um, And I appreciate that you can see that and pick, I mean, it is, it's a very sensitive subject and I can say that his family and the people that know Luke best are, um, they don't want to see Luke's memory forgotten. And it is a fine line because you don't want to see him opportunistic, but you're right. He, I mean, and by the way, the, the single jealous guy Mm. that, that single is unbelievable in my opinion. When I when that dropped, I thought, what the hell? That's a whole other side yeah. uh of Luke's music that and I didn't know that was a cover actually. I didn't know that was a John Lennon song. Mm. I thought he wrote that. <laughs> and uh so um yeah. I don't know. I thought, dude, this anyway, sorry. Um <laughs> I I appreciate that you pick up on that and it it's really important to us.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> and to just to piggyback on that, I guess. The overarching theme from everyone that we've been able to talk to is that, you know, you look eye to eye with someone, you have a conversation, you start to kind of gain common ground and it becomes like this thing, like you you gain a little trust, I guess. And it feels like uh, overall people are really excited for this, a truth seeking documentary that can, whether it answers questions or whether it just uh, helps to kind of finish the nail in of what they thought. about Luke, you know, the feelings that they had about Luke, There's so many shared experiences and there's also a lot of new experiences. I think everyone that's going to be able to watch this film that got to take part in Luke's life physically, will be able to see the Luke that they knew really well, but they'll probably also see more than that. And I feel like it it could, it could, you know, create some bridges. It it could, it could close a lot of things for a lot of people in a lot of ways. And remember Luke and his legacy. And like, what we're trying to do is, is the most uh, respectful and, uh reverent way possible you know Mm. so it feels like um people after we talk to them are very excited about the process and i'm really thankful for how gracious people have been and even sending text messages after to someone new to say hey these guys they are working on this film about luke we've we've had a lot of that too where people have recommended us to other people gotten in touch with them helped us get through that door you know
2: it it just keeps opening up
1: i guess yeah i'm trying to say
2: well and and i want to say a big part of Luke's story is that he changed a lot from mm-hmm. what he was as a young man. And then when his father died, people started to notice that Luke was changing. And then, um, you know, the way that mental illness works, it's not like you, you, this, this line graph that goes yeah. downward or something. It's like, but Luke was changing. And I personally can empathize with Luke's, uh situation because one of my very best friends growing up, it, it when I hear stories of Luke, it sounds a whole lot like mm. one of my very closest friends. And I know when I see the look in their eye um when they say we didn't know what to do. Because you watch things in retrospect and people are going to watch this film. That's another thing that's important to me. Um people are going to watch this film and think, well why didn't you just do this or this or yeah. this? Why didn't you give him on this drug or put him in this institution? You cannot force a human being to do those things, especially when they're maybe paranoid or hearing voices or whatever it is, like it, it's extremely difficult to be in that situation when someone you love is struggling and you can't, you know, hold them down and make them take a pill or whatever. Like it doesn't work like that. And so, um, I know the, the hopelessness that, that some of these people feel or felt about someone they really love and then to watch them change and, and, um, so, as Matt was saying, there are different sides of Luke that different characters in this film know. And if you just talk to like one side, if I could yeah. say like it's not that binary, but one side, they would go, Luke is a total different person than this side knew. Mm. And uh just the easiest way to think about it is everyone that knew Luke uh up until he started suffering, Luke was a magnet. And Luke for ladies and for just people in general, like Luke was a party and he was always about having a good time and, and people having fun with him. And he loved to make people laugh and get up on stage. And that was the Luke that became the Luke bell in a sense that we knew. And then when he started shifting, um, he w- became very shy, did not want to be on stage, didn't want to be around people. It stressed him out. And he felt like people were, you know, were after him or whatever it was, mm. I don't want to mischaracterize that, but and it's so wild to see the difference too. And I'm sure if you look on YouTube, like you're going to say, you can see like the early Luke compared to the later, it does yeah. feel like he's an entirely different character. So um, we're trying to handle that carefully, but it, it, the deeper we get into it, the more we're like, feels like we're making a movie about several different people.
0: Mm. Yeah. I think so. that's gotta be one of the hardest things to see because, you know, as a fan, you, you know, you hear the record. He doesn't, oh, he didn't play live that much. He was like those rare yeah. appearances. So there wasn't an overarching sense of who he was in the public eye, really. It's, he was, even when he was alive and Rogue Country knew about him, he was that kind of cult figure of he's played there and everyone, there'd be a buzz. And then, you know, he'd released that single in 2021 and then there was like, is there going to be an album? And there was that, again, there was that excitement. And it is one of those things where you just don't know the struggles people are saying, And it's harder with kind of country music. Like I always think, like I'm a huge Linkin Park fan. And in hindsight, after Chester passed, you listen to those lyrics and it's so obvious. It's clear as day. And you do go, well, why didn't so-and-so do that? Why didn't they do that? Why didn't he get this? But when it's happening and you can only consume what you can consume from them, you don't think about those things. You think, you know, country music it goes kind of hand in hand with mental health issues and substance abuse is that truth is it a character that he's are singing about and the lines blare so much that it's only in hindsight you can see the roadmap that was ahead of itself and it's a really tragic kind of viewpoint to have really because you there's nothing you can do about it at this point
2: yeah no i i that's really appropriate um i think We've thought that a lot, you know, and, and really one of the earlier creative, uh, inspirations for this film was, I don't want to, it was almost like decoding the lyrics mm. and saying like, what was trying to say here? And, you know, in retrospect, you can see, and I, I, I think actually just, I'll say this too, what, what's interesting about the album that exists is the, is, you know, main LP that really, you just see both Luke's mm. intersecting at that album. That album is like it's not the old Luke. It's not the new one. It's like this middle one that pulled it together to put that album out. Uh, and that's, that's interesting, you know? Um, and, and there's a lot in that album where, you know, we, we've talked to a lot of people like with the the title of the film, where you've been, where you've been is kind of the song that people really get emotional about. Mm. And some of his family said, I, I really, I can't really listen to that song anymore
1: right. Um
2: without, Getting really bet you know uh bent up about it, you know,
1: yeah, and so I think something that's really interesting about that too that blurs like you said, blurs the line you don't you can only see this in retrospect, but Luke was always a rock star with his guitar. Mm. it did not matter at what stage he was what it was in in his life, how he was feeling behind a guitar. he always put on the Luke Bell Show in the sense that anyone that passed by fell in love with the guy with the guitar in his hand. So he always had like this safety it felt like and if you look at the videos like he's still rock solid no matter what does not matter what the year it is mm-hmm. he puts out unbelievable moments. Some
2: of those last videos he made when he looked really rough yeah. that's like on some porch somewhere and he's mm-hmm. got these big mutton chops and he did a cover of that um Prodigal. Yeah. That's oh, one yeah. of my favorite so- uh videos of his when he covered that song.
1: Right. And and that, and that that makes it so much harder to even you how would you ever be able to see that someone was suffering or hurting? Yeah. If if they're still they're still doing something that's so difficult and so mind blowing to so many people, like I I, I, I couldn't the, do that, you know, with a mastery, too. yeah, like, with mastery, with a, with,
2: yeah. a country, with a like saying really profound, um, simple truths though through music and through that expression, right? You're you're ex- ex- exactly right, yeah. Like, how could you know? It's almost like is he putting on a an act that he's yeah. suffering? Right. I mean, I talked to someone just the other day; who's was from Cody. And this sounds almost insensitive, but he didn't mean it in any way like this, but he said, I grew up with Luke. And when he started some of the later years, some of us were almost thought, is he playing a prank on us? Is this, is this, a, you know, is he really go, you know, with the Southern accent, the, this feels like a joke, you know, mm. I don't know how, I mean, I I can, I can understand that place that the people would think like, huh, this doesn't seem real. You yeah. Know, so.
0: Yeah. It's hard when, if there's a microphone in front of someone or there's a camera in someone's face, whether they want to or not, it will become a performance. And that is if someone knows them pre performance and pre kind of career, they always have that kind of question and that kind of filter of, well, that's not the person I know. And it's a really interesting thing to see with the kind of footage you were shooting. When did the truth of like your documentary come to you? Or did you have kind of, an idea of the narrative and truth you wanted to tell first, or did it come to you along the way?
2: Still coming to us. I feel like, (laughs) I think it's still taking shape a little bit. Mm. Um, But I think what we did first was we, we just said, okay, I don't know. And this is just again, because trigger from saving country music connected us with Luke's mom, Carol, and said, I can, I can send the email. And he said a very nice email and i reached out to carol and i said carol i'd just love to maybe jump on a zoom call and tell you a little bit about what we're trying to do and share the vision for this and and you could tell i i, rem- I remember i remember thinking it was just me and and it was carol and her daughter jane so Luke's sister jane and i could tell and you can tell when someone they were they were they were like just mm. listening to me like what the hell is this guy and what's he trying to say and can we can we trust what he's going to do mm. and i remember thinking um this must be incredibly difficult to like hear some stranger reach out of the blue and say i want to make a movie about your son and then but we we knew like we don't want to start with anyone else yeah if we can't you know cuz carol obviously his mother um his father's passed and we thought there's no really we're gonna or you're gonna the story's gonna originate with with his mom. So we went out to Wyoming, and I would say from that moment we were just like absorbing a lot of new information. And I remember looking at Matt when we were in Carol's house and going like, Can you believe we're in Luke's this is Luke's house, you know, or whatever? Yeah. And it was just so all um, you know, surreal, I guess. Um and I think that Carol gave us such an incredible amount of like uh, backbone to the film that we knew like okay Carol you know bird this guy right mm-hmm. and so she knows everything and then she has all the hurt from when he started changing and um she was all the way to the end you know there and um from there it was like okay well then what's the other side and so we realized the you know and again I don't want to me- present it too binary but mm-hmm. it's like okay the other side of this is Matt Kinman And she told us, like, have you talked to Matt? And I said, no, I don't really know. I know who he is, but that's about it. And Matt's the guy in all the videos with Luke for the last few years of his life who's playing the fiddle and everything. Mm. And Luke and Matt were like a together duo kind of thing. And Matt took care of Luke. And and when Luke would kind of disappear for a while or kind of have an episode of some sort, Matt would usually be the one to – drop everything and go try to find him wherever that may be and it took him to a lot of interesting places mm. and so they were companions and musicians and and Matt really kind of his caretaker in a way and a mentor figure for Luke and right so we knew we'd go talk to Matt next and that would give us our boundaries like and and again I don't want to say it's like Carol yeah. versus Matt on the spectrum but it's like Carol and Matt do represent the two different worlds to the yeah. most uh fullest degree, I guess. So.
0: No, I can't even imagine kind of the strength that Carol must have had because obviously it's not just losing her son and losing her son in those circumstances, but then to kind of talk about it quite soon after and do those things. I know a lot of people of like that generation and you know I I know my parents and stuff they're very kind of like emotionally guarded. And I think that's a thing where people can Kind of not want to talk about these things, but when he has this kind of music and this, you know, legacy, it's, it's, a, it would be a disservice to not kind of share these stories and share his story in a way that can get more people to listen to and find his music.
2: I think Carol has that perspective yeah. and she's a really impressive woman. I mean, she's, she comes from this ranching family, she knows hard work like intimate relationship with hard work growing up on the ranch, um, out, out there in Wyoming. And, um, but she's also, she's educated. She has, I think her master, she has Mm -hmm. a, she was an English major and then she has her master's and she's a counselor now. So she's actually working in kind of the mental health field, Mm -hmm. uh, like as a, as a, and that's something she went into in the last, I think, uh, maybe five, six years. And, um, she's extremely well-spoken, extremely thoughtful. And, you know, she, she, I I understand what you're saying. Like older generation, sometimes, you know, obviously my parents would have never done something like this. And, but, um, Carol really just poignant and, and expressive and Mm. thoughtful. And she really nailed it. Um, not that it's a performance in any way, but, um, we, we knew that she could, speak in a way that what am I trying to say? That that would benefit the film and, and it would tell the truth in the way that we're pursuing it. That's all yeah. I'll say. I don't know. She yeah. she really um very impressive
0: mm.
2: um ability to and and ma- manage her emotions. Like right. she broke down and cried obviously many times, but she'd also I don't know, had a level of self-awareness that yeah she's like, look, I don't, I don't want to make it about me or, you know, or my it, and I don't know. She's a very thoughtful person.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate everything Carol's done and just sitting down with her. I feel like she found strength consistently in just wanting Luke to be remembered. Mm, yes. She, she's like, she wants her son to be remembered for all the incredible things that she thinks he did and that we think he did. And I think us maybe opening that door and saying like, people care about this guy yeah. was a really nice thing for her to hear as well. Even though again, we want you have to walk a really fine line to even have that conversation. But I think that's been kind of the the grounding point for her and she's done an incredible job. It's been so, yeah. it's been really, I mean, I've, I've just been really appreciative to even get to know her and like seeing her is a, is a great thing. You know what yeah. I mean? We have a great
2: relationship with her. And last thing I want to add about Carol too, to, to just say how much I appreciate her is that really early on, she took the lead, even saying like, look, I'm okay with you guys doing this film and I'll, I'll help. I'll, I'll be on camera and I'll tell you the story and everything. But she said, I want you to make the movie you, you want to make. I don't, I don't want to tell you what movie to make. And mm-hmm. and I, I can't imagine how hard that would be to even like release that in yeah. a way and say like, look, you're the filmmaker. I'm not going to, you know, manage this thing or, you know, oversee this for, I want you to make the film that you're making. Yeah. And, um, uh, you know, we appreciate that so much. And, and her and I have a really great relationship. We text often and, and I, I do run a lot of things by her to get her perspective sometimes. And, and honestly, sometimes it's because she's the source of knowledge and she she's the source of the information. Sometimes it's just because I want to pulse check and say, what do you think about this, this, this person or this, this situation? Do you know anything about that? And she'll either say, yeah, I, I never heard of them or, which is kind of funny. Cause you'd think, um, like someone I recently said, have you seen this photo? And she said, I've never seen that photo. And I, she's like, who took that photo? I'm like, I, this, you know, woman named Laura. And she thought I'd never heard of her. And I thought she's like one, you know, I would have thought she might've heard of her, but again, that's kind of a Testament to Luke's journeys and travels and kind of this mythic figure. He was where he just popped it up here and there and different pockets of people knew him in mm-hmm. different ways. And so, yeah, Carol's been amazing. And um, we're, unbelievably grateful for um her participation in the film and blessing of the film and all, and all that so
0: mm. yeah. did you see kind of what was her reaction to the trailer once it kind of aired obviously you were sent it ahead of time things what was the initial feedback you got from her and the family
2: yeah so carol she had a great response to the trailer i texted it to her and she said i think she said it's amazing my dad made me cry Uh, it's i'd have to go back and look exactly verbatim because it was actually a few months ago we actually cut that trailer pretty close to what it is now back in september yeah and we've been sitting on it and trying to decide when we wanted to put it out and how Mm. um but yeah i shared it with carol and um she was she loved it and yeah she
1: i think she said i I keep watching this and then she mentioned that yeah obviously it made her yeah feel a lot of things but Mm. um yeah, it was, felt like it was a great response from Carol. It was a, it was a good feeling, honestly, to get that. Just yeah,
2: exactly. huh. I what I what I like the person I like to send stuff to the most though is Luke's cousin Silas, who's in the trailer. He's mm. like the real young guy with the ball cap leaning against the barn. Yeah, um, because he's just he's from the Jackson, Wyoming, but he talks in such like a urban draw or whatever, and and. We love this kid, Silas. We we didn't even plan on meeting him. We you know, we heard about him, but he was just happened to be there when we were filming. And we Matt and I were both like, "This dude is awesome. Mm-hmm. He's so much fun." And so I said, "I sent the trailer to Silas," and he was like, "Fuck yeah! Like this is let's fucking go!" Like he was so <laughs> excited. And uh, whenever I want to get hype, I send stuff to Silas. Yeah, so. he's
1: a hype. Hi- he's our hype. Hi- yeah. yeah, he's great. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, amazing because the trailer was like it's one of those things where it really kind of obviously it makes it really hits home. What you guys are trying to do in your project and to see kind of folks like Pat Reedy uh, in the trailer as well. And, you know, see his family and stuff. You see having those kind of names and those people involved, you know, this is legitimate. It's been blessed by the family and his friends. And it's got that kind of stamp of approval, if you will, to see those folks in the trailer and in this documentary.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that means the world to us that you can't, you know, if we're going to tell a story that's real and true, you want to get to the people closest to them. I mean, mm-hmm. not in a weird way, but it's like in the gospels, we're talking, we're going to hear about Jesus. I, I, we need to talk to the disciples. There's no one yeah. else you want. I mean, yeah, you know, you want to hear from maybe the haters too, but it's like, you've got to, you've got to go to those people closest to the the source. Yeah. And some of them are, you know, some of them you think, you know, they're going to be uh, an open book. Like I've had a couple of really great phone calls with people that we filmed with. And I thought, Oh, this guy, he's going to have a lot to say. He's going to have a lot of good fill in a lot of gaps for us. And then we had um, one person in particular, when we went to roll, it was almost like immediately he locked up mm. and he it just silent. And you could, he looked down and he's like, Oh, and you could, and we are like, okay. And we probably sat there for, Five minutes of silence and just waiting to see if he was going to mm-hmm. open up a little bit. And uh, he eventually did a, a little bit, but there was a lot of things that he left off the table. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that was really close to Luke um, and and played with him a lot back in the day. And he did he did give us some beautiful stuff, but I thought he he just couldn't get there with yeah. some with some of the story. And you know that's just the way it kind of goes. And you've got to kind of pursue that from other angles then, because there are some there are some important stories within the meta story uh, about Luke that we do want to hit on. And some, they're very raw though, you know, and they're very, they, they immediately trigger something in some people. And uh, you know, that's just part of our job is to very carefully pull that out without feeling like we're making them uncomfortable, Mm -hmm.
1: you know? And, and sitting from the position that we're in right here, the promo of the trailer is a good example of what we're trying to do. Right. But that's, the smallest portion of the media and the lengths we've gone to for the project already. Like we're sitting on things that, that haven't even seen the light of day yet. You know, that, that could have gotten to that trailer and made it even more of a broad spectrum that it's.
2: The trailer says very little, this trailer says very
1: little of the story, but it, it really, it does. At least it's like a tone piece. The way I'm looking at it. If you want to know how this film's going to feel, this is the thing we're chasing. This is the thing that's happening in front of us. And we're just lucky enough to be the ones to record and capture mm. it, you know, in our own eyes, I guess, our own vision. So, um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot to come, that's for sure. Yeah.
0: You know, amazing as, like, obviously, Luke fans, fans of Luke Bell, was there anything that you filmed and you filmed so far that have either reaffirmed kind of your thoughts and feelings about Luke or have they changed your perspective of Luke and him? Because obviously to get to know his family and to see these intimate stories and things, it's it must just bring a whole new life and breath to his music and who he was that you didn't get to know him but through this you intimately know him in a way now
2: yeah we kind of say like just him and I were like weirdly enough we might know more about Luke than when this is all said and done mm. we're probably more mo- the most experts about Luke Bell on earth even more than these people that grew up with in in a weird way you know at mm. least in terms of knowing all the different sides and like being having the privilege of sitting down with all these different people and hearing all the stories and obviously it, in a weird way it's like I know things about Luke that some of the people that know him better than anyone don't mm-hmm. know yet and and just because I'm in this position
1: yeah
2: um so perspective change absolutely um but I would say more than anything uh we feel or I'll just say I feel um like astonishingly um what am I trying to say? I'm trying, I feel astonishingly, astonishingly grateful to be in a position we're in, learn and do this deep dive into who he was, see what parts of him were a character, what parts of him were like the innermost Luke and what, and just try to pull all that, pull all that apart. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, deepening a love for his music and I can't wait to, you know, if some, some unreleased stuff comes out, I mean, I, I'll be one of the first ones to take a listen, I guess. But, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah.
1: I think, um, I, I, in a strange way it does feel like we're getting to know him a little bit. I know we're never going to get to meet him and I Mm -hmm. know that's not reality, but one thing I, I really have noticed is that everyone we talk to, we've gotten to do these, um, these fun moments where we've had, whether it's a family member or just close friends that are musicians sit down and just have like a moment where they play guitar or maybe sing something for Luke or they do a cover of a song that they want to tribute to him. And Mm. I feel like in those moments, like they've, they've turned out to be pretty incredible moments. Like just one single take one single song that couldn't have turned out better. Couldn't have been a more right choice. And I feel like that speaks volumes about just like everything. Like we've, we've, We've gone taken the whole night with them. Let's say we've had this interview. We've got to become friends with them, and all this pours out in this one moment of mm. artistry. And I, 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 keep going to that. Like it just, I feel like it just reflects on who the guy was and the guy that they knew, and the way like they, it's all of it coming out in one moment, in one emotion. I guess is what, the way I'm looking right. at it. And I feel like in those moments, I've been the most appreciative of like i guess what he's done for the music scene the mm-hmm. things that he was doing like i know he didn't he didn't hit the road hard on his record but that that record he put out obviously i listen to it in very different ways listening to lyrics now but it's 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 iconic to me and it's something that's so important and it just becomes more important but i i definitely listen to that record differently mm-hmm. you know like the songs i still love i still play that record probably way too much but it's you know, it's it's a different feeling when I listen to it, and I'm I'm more like pulling memories now. Like when I hear a song, I'm I'm sitting on JP sitting on his front steps, yeah, playing his guitar, and it's like that's I cannot wait for people to see that moment. It's an yeah. unbelievable moment, and yeah. I don't know. There's just there's just a lot of I don't know. There's a lot of memories associated with now that I put into it. It's almost like like knowing Luke this tiniest little yeah. bit, you know, yeah.
2: yeah,
0: in a weird way. Yeah, no, that's incredible. I don't want to take up. Too much for today, so I'll wrap up. But obviously, it's on Kickstarter now. I'm going to put this episode up uh, on Monday so we can obviously get it out as quick as we can and get people kind of to it. Obviously, you've got Rhinos, your company. You say, you know, you don't have unlimited resources. Kickstarter has been kind of a vital thing. Was it always you knew you'd have to kickstart this, or was it with so much footage and so much story left to tell, you realized that you needed kind of the support from this community to keep? being able to tell that story
2: yeah so i would say it you know, I'll, I'll i might contradict myself with what I'm, I'm about to say but on the one hand um there's no way we don't make this film mm-hmm. you'd have to kill me like we're mm-hmm. going to make this film and it's going to be everything we can possibly put into it um if kickstarter doesn't work we'll find a way um you know, thankfully, um, our business here, Rhino, um, we are, we do well, like we're, you know, we're not, I don't, I drive a 2012, uh, Tundra. I'm not driving like a Beamer or anything crazy, you know, or whatever, or a cyber truck, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but I would, um, no, (laughs) no. So I'm just saying like, if it comes down to it and we've got to self fund the whole thing, I'm not afraid of that. That's fine. Um, I think for, kickstarter's sake what we wanted to do was say when we put this thing out and announce the world that we're you know we're doing this we want to have a way that people can invest yeah you know not technically invest but you know get invested i guess and and be a part of it and and really plug in so kickstarter to me is just the best way to do that Mm. and uh, i felt like that was i'm comfortable with kickstarter i know it um and so, yeah, we're going to make this movie no matter what. Um, I would love to see the thing funded. I've been saying this lately. So right now I think we're sitting around at 140 backers mm. and, you know, it's, it's hard to go around and ask people for money. Um, But I would love to see a very large number of people give smaller amounts. Like if we could have like 800 people yeah. as backers and make our goal, that would be phenomenal because – um, distribution for distribution companies and, and film festivals and things like that. They want to see that, you know, there's interest in the film and that's a really objective thing you can point to and say, look, X number of people that back this film on Kickstarter and there's a lot of good momentum that can come from that. And, um, honestly, one of the trickier parts about Kickstarter though, is that we don't own, um, we could probably get this figured out, but like, it's not like we can just put out a bunch of Luke bell merch to put on yeah. Kickstarter we Kind of have to be careful how we do it. Even though this is all in the up and up and we're officially doing it. And we've got the, you know, relationship and the blessing. It, it It's just tricky waters. And it's really because yeah. like there's, there's lawyers, you know, there's PR people, there's the marketing firm, and there's a lot of players on any of this music stuff. So it's almost like if we want to take forever and get everything, all the T's cross and the eyes dotted on that, every little agreement, then we'd never put the film out, but we're mm-hmm. kind of just, we have to carefully, you know, and know when to just go, okay, we're going to just do this and, um, hope, you know, ask for forgiveness later if it's a problem. But, um, in regards to like merch and stuff, yeah, when I'm talking about Kickstarter rewards. So, um, that's been kind of one of the bigger like question marks as we were like, do we have enough merch? I don't know. Let's just see if we can do it. Yeah. So,
1: yeah, I think, uh, Kickstarter to me
2: was, definitely
1: about building community getting people excited uh like taking just like uh, putting giving a little bit of yourself towards a project you believe in like that there's nothing ever wrong with that and yeah the reality is filmmaking costs a lot of money and we're trying to bring as much value as possible to the people that love luke bell so when you watch the film you know every song that goes in there it's licensing fee very basic example we're trying to come up with really creative and interesting ideas to to put in this film to make you feel certain things and the more time we're able to focus on it, the more value I think we're going to be able to bring. And, yeah. like, we're, we're seeking the truth, but we want to we just take – we want to push it as hard as we can. Yeah. We want this to be the most beautiful art form, most beautiful film that we can possibly make and want it to live and stand for a long time, something people can always come back to. So every little bit that people can give really helps us out. And, like yeah. you said, film's happening no matter
2: what, but – I do want to say something about the music licensing. So it, this is a trick. This is a good example of a tricky area. So we pretty much have like a handshake deal with um, whoever needs to say yes to that, that they've said, we'll, we'll let you use Luke's music um, f- for gratis, mm-hmm. you know, be for free or for use, but it's like a, but it only applies like in kicks or uh, sorry, film festival usage. But if mm-hmm. we want to put the film out onto let's say netflix like that would be amazing right at some point then it's a whole different ball game and then the fees can go way up and then we've got to make sure because there's essentially like you know when an artist has a deal they have to pay back that money right and so there's people that need to get compensated and this is a whole world that i really don't know that well but i do know that we can't just do whatever we want we've got to have money tank to help cover those costs um and we're thankful for every little bit we get from people that love luke and his music and and friends of ours and all that
0: Mm. yeah yeah, that's amazing i think that's a good kind of place to end um but yeah i really i cannot wait to see this documentary i really you know it's good to like with Kickstarter. you know the risk is it doesn't get made but it's good to know that this is such like a passion project and such a labor of love that no matter what happens this is going to see the light of day and as a luke bell fan that's kind of the important thing is to know that these stories and this project won't kind of waste away on a shelf for 80 years or anything it's gonna be in people's hands as soon as it can be and that's an amazing thing and i applaud you both for kind of picking up this torch and carrying on kind of luke bell's legacy especially with the support of his family and his friends and the people who knew him closest
2: thank you appreciate that yeah we appreciate it so much man.
0: there you have it that is episode 72 of the rogue country podcast in the bag thank you so much to kevin and matt for talking to me if you want to back where you've been the odyssey and algae of luke bell head on over to kickstarter you can back it there i strongly urge you to support that i also strongly urge you to support the sterling drake and brandon ridley tour kicking off in march at powis on the 19th of march at the old barn inn then in Birkenhead on the 20th at The Swinging Arm. Then on the 21st, we're in Bradford at The Boar and Fable. 22nd Sheffield at Shakespeare's. And 24th London at The Dukes of Highgate. The tickets are available now. Until next time, keep doing what you love. Keep supporting what you love. Peace.